Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, this is Virginia. Events over recent years have highlighted racial inequalities across the globe, and Australia is not an exception. Here at Broad Talk, we recognise that the path towards true reconciliation is the responsibility of all of us, all the time. In that spirit, we acknowledge the traditional owners of the country on which we record this podcast, the Ngunnawal and Ngambri people, and pay our respects to the Elders past, present and emerging. We've been through a tough couple of years. What the hell happened? Pressures are real, the fuel price increases are real. Women are so deeply aggrieved and angry. You have to think about this as a father first. And if that doesn't make you angry, you are not paying attention. It is his way or the highway. I know our country can do better. He was an intimidating bully. A menacing, controlling wallpaper. Such marches, even now, are being met with bullets. We still have so much work to do. Call the election. Call it now. What am I doing right now? Let the people of Australia decide. Jenny has a way of clarifying things. Let's make some noise, Australia! Hello and welcome to Broad Talk and thanks so much for joining us. Hopefully, I can say again, uh, we're into week three of the federal election campaign and it already feels like it's been going a long time. I don't know about you, but uh, boy, oh boy, it's for me, it's been pretty uninspiring, but it's also making me um, particularly anxious. Now, this week, there's plenty to talk about, and I have been joined by a stellar, stellar cast of uh, fellow broad chatters. Um, I'll introduce you to them immediately. Jane Caro. Uh, Jane did, of course, join us for the first episode, kicked us off, which was fantastic. Jane is needs a little introduction, but is a, a Walkley Award-winning journalist, a, an author of many, many books, about 12, 13, I think she's up to. She's an advocate and an activist, uh, very passionate about uh, public education and, of course, women's rights and, in particular, rights for older women as well as climate action. And Jane is also running for the first time for the Senate in New South Wales for the Reason Australia Party. So she is one of those newbie independents. Georgie Dent, Georgina Dent uh, is also an award-winning journalist and, and contributing editor of Women's Agenda. She's a speaker, an author, um, like Jane, regularly appears on uh, news programs on The Drum, The Project, Q&A, The Today Show, etc. She's the author of Breaking Badly, a really terrific memoir, and I highly recommend it, and a lawyer, and she's now Executive Director of The Parenthood. And this week we're joined by Yasmin Paul. Now, Yasmin, probably needs very little introduction too. She's an award-winning speaker, writer and a youth advocate. And might I add, because I'm very proud of this, a newly minted Rhodes Scholar who will be heading off to Oxford soon. She is Plan International's National Ambassador and a non-executive board director of Oz Harvest, I beg your pardon, and um, YWCA, which 
which of course is that fabulous national feminist organisation that has supported women and girls for over 140 years. And like Jane and Georgie, Yasmin also appears on uh, television news shows regularly. You would have seen her on Q&A, The Drum, etc. And I will add too that uh, Yasmin, these are all award-winning women, they're amazing, but Yasmin uh, a couple of years ago was nominated on the list of the Australian Financial Review 100 Women of Influence. And I say this because we had Catherine Fox on last week in episode two and Catherine was the founder of that very list and Yasmin was the youngest woman to be nominated onto that and also the top 40 under 40 most influential Asian Australians. Crikey Moses, after introducing you all, we need a break. (laughs) Welcome and thanks for joining Broad Talk. I'm going to jump straight in. Uh, There is much to talk about. We want to talk about Twitter and uh, Elon Musk. Is he mad or principle of democracy and where do women fit into the the village square, so-called? I want to talk about warmongering. I want to talk about, gosh, the teal women and whether or not they're getting the government's knickers in a knot. Um, I want to talk about um, conservatives versus progressives, those progressive youth and those uppity women. We keep coming back to the uppity women. But anyway, jumping straight in, uh, Yasmin, I'm going to kick off with you because you're uh, a newer um, commentator to, to Broad Talk. What's your take on where we're at in Australia around week three of election 2022? Well, like you said, Virginia, I think this is, you know, it's already feeling long and we're in week three. And I think actually what's captured my attention has been um, two things, which is around Elon Musk and Twitter and in relation to the election, why that is not something that seems to be on the agenda in terms of what our politicians are talking about and what they're thinking about in terms of policy moving forward around big tech, around control. So that's something that I'm thinking about and the disconnect um, between what they are thinking is important and and what is also happening in the world around us. Um, And also what's happening in Kuyong. It's actually um, really exciting and interesting to see the headway that, you know, um, that Monique Ryan is is making in regards to Josh Frydenberg and seeing the, the sense of change. I really think that electorate is feeling. So I think those two things are front of mind for me at the moment. Okay. Georgie, what are you seeing, feeling, thinking at the moment about the campaign? Yeah, I think, um, thanks, Virginia, the the word there that Yasmin said, the disconnect, is what I am finding really fascinating and it, it seems to be playing out in a number of different ways. But to me there just seems to be this disconnect between what I can see is happening on the ground and what lots of people are talking about and what seems to be the sort of official focus of this campaign and I know um, in the first episode where Jane and I spoke to you we you know at that point it was only one week into the campaign and we were both observing the fact that it felt very much like women were being sort of sidelined as if you know women might be an an ordinary issue in normal times but now that we're in an election only big important Mm. matters Mm. count and it seems that what's being reflected is this idea that somehow women and issues that women care about and women who are running are somehow not the main event. And I think what gives me hope is that I can see on the ground a different story. Ah, yeah. Yeah. Look, it's interesting and just in, in reflection on what you've both just said then, I know Catherine um, Fox made this point in episode two last week, how 
you know, I was saying that the national campaign is so dull and I feel, you know, very uh, isolated from it. And she was saying, yeah, but what's happening in her local electorate is so different. There's so much energy, more energy than she's ever seen before. Now, Jane, you would have an interesting take on this being a candidate yourself. So how are you feeling at this stage? Well, Catherine lives up the road from me, so I absolutely agree with her about what's happening in this electorate, North Sydney. Um, it's the same as Kuyong. It's uh, teetering on the brink of um, going to Kylie Tink, I hope. So that's really interesting. There's a huge amount of um, energy and all that kind of thing. One of the things that's really striking me, and I agree with everything that Georgie and Yasmin have said, is that it's as if we regard in, uh, when it comes to election time that 51% of the population's right to earn an income which can support them all the way through their life and keep a roof over their head and all those things from, you know, the first time they get a paycheck till the last time they get a paycheck is regarded as a niche issue. It's a kind of, mm. but the 10,000 coal miners' jobs, oh, my God, it's a national emergency. Oh, my God, we're going to let the plant burn because those 10,000 jobs, ho, 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 I just... I'm sorry, I just get angrier and angrier. The more I campaign, the more I see that the, we, the, the, the if you like, the elite, if we want to call them that, uh, of the political game, the uh, press gallery, I have to say, and also the mainstream politicians are doing the election the way they've always done the election. Absolutely. It's just yeah. the same, same. But what's going on out there in different seats, around the Senate, uh, all that kind of thing is completely, and Georgie's right and Yasmin's right, disconnected from what the political players seem to be doing. And it, I sort of feel like it's in microcosm reflecting what's happening right across the world, that mm. the sort of old power bases are clinging to, there's nothing to see here, we're just going to carry on as normal, everything's fine whilst mayhem is breaking out all around them. Yeah, it, look, I, I couldn't agree more, really. And it, But it's interesting how localism is really taking a, 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 um, a stronger position or in terms of news and current affairs locally and our local, um, our local community, we're focusing more on that. And that's why it's interesting to see how these seats, particularly where strong independent women mostly, um, uh, have, have risen, um, are becoming really interesting places. Um, there was an interesting piece by Walid Ali, I think it was last uh, weekend, a, a commentary piece where he talked about the, um, the, the, the sort of the fake campaign and, uh, the threats, the use of threats all the time, which is not based on um, policy. So one party is saying, well, Labor said this and the Liberal government said this. Uh, it's not actually based on truth necessarily and it's not based on um, uh, uh, stated policy, but rather it's it's a lot of wind and some of it quite blatantly made up. And that the, the threats are what being is what being is being used mostly at a national level, but again at local level, that's just not it doesn't seem to be working to me. I don't think. I'm not even sure it's working nationally, given that I'm standing for New South Wales, yeah, and I'm yeah. getting the similar sort of feedback that I'm sure a lot of the independents are getting, which is that they're sick of the kind of debate that's going on. It's almost as if the more we study the electorate, the less we understand them. <laughs> what about the so-called teal women? Now, um, Jane, I don't know if you fall into this, but you kind of do. Kind of do. Uh, 
You kind of do. Uh, the teal, the so-called teal women, the independents, and, and I say you don't necessarily because you are standing for the reason party, but yeah, that's um, right. I, I notice you do have a bit of teal in your campaign colours. Reason claim they've had that since 2016. They have. So they, say, they have, yeah. Yeah, they, if they say it's a coincidence or they nicked it from us, I suspect it's a coincidence. Yeah. Interesting how uh, in places like, um, well, Dave Sharma's electorate, suddenly he's gone from royal liberal blue to teal, but nevertheless. But the comment um, during the week by John Howard that these women are just <laughs> anti-liberal groupies, groupies and reference made to them as being elite educated um, white women uh, <sighs> as if, and look, they're not denying that. They're all acknowledging that, yes, they are privileged uh, women, but nevertheless, anti-liberal groupies, what do we think? Is that a bit harsh? Can, can I just quickly say something there because I think it's just so indicative of the Liberal Party's major problem. John Howard is also the person who coined the phrase doctor's wives Correct. Uh, yes. to describe these women who have now risen up in great numbers, uh, some of whom were always doctors themselves, but, but John missed that. And to go from doctors' wives to anti-liberal groupies, I mean, you have to hand it to the Liberal Party. They really know how to talk to a woman voter. <laughs> yeah, they do it so well, don't they? Georgie, what do you think? Was that, was that a, a, a real overreach by Howard? Well, I think it sort of typifies what we have been discussing um, about this sort of disconnect and, and like attempting to diminish or minimise or belittle these women, and not just these women, but the thousands of people who are turning out for them, who are volunteering for them, who are donating to their campaigns. Um, and I think, you know, I mean, um, Annabelle Crabb wrote um, a column on Wednesday night and, you know, she asked, I think, you know, the really important question here is instead of the Liberal Party wondering why this is happening, they might be better off thinking, why is this working? Mm. Because it's clear that what these independent candidates are saying and doing is resonating with voters. Mm. And, and it seems to me incredibly short-sighted if instead of focusing on what does that say about what Australians want, they're talking about why it's not valid for these particular women to be after these seats. Mm. Yes, but I'm interested in your views as well. Um, I, you know, you referenced the fact that you're really interested in Kuyong. What's your take? Um, you're, you're considerably younger than the rest of us. I'm interested in your take on, on what these independents represent. Well, I mean, first, I guess just to go back to what Howard was saying, I find it so interesting that the independence platform of, of integrity, of climate action and of justice for women, if that is seen as fundamentally anti-liberal, what does that say about the Liberals? <laughs> maybe instead of putting that as the focus, maybe you should turn a mirror to yourselves and think about if that is seen as hostile, then maybe there's a lot of cleanup that you have to do in your own party. And I think about, you know, this rhetoric is you know, they're against us, they're anti-liberal. The same thing happens when especially women inside the party speak up. And we saw that treatment of Julia Banks and the way that she was portrayed as hysterical and someone that was dividing the party. It's a, it's a perfect example of when people are raising extremely valid claims about the current nature of society you're just seeing as against us. And that's the problem that will continue to harm that party over and over. And why, 
you know, now, now they're wondering why women don't join. I think it's a perfect example that you know, what's the point if we're just going to be shouted over and told that we're hysterical um, for raising these problems. So, you know, as, in, as a young person, I was reading um, articles actually by young people about politics and, and they were saying that they felt frustrated with the state of things. But to me, it's exciting to see independence in this space because I do think as young people, we've been feeling really disillusioned about the current system. We, especially around something like climate change, when we see our future hanging in the balance and it seems like a slow-moving car crash. So I think the more different kinds of leadership that we can see, the better that is to, to actually show that democracy doesn't always have to look like the way that we've seen. And I think we've been feeling really disappointed and unheard, but this is a way to be heard. And I think that's that's really powerful because at the moment, you know, we're the least trusting generation of of politics and I don't blame us, to be honest. Um, Yasmin, it's interesting in your neck of the woods, um, uh, a really interesting piece was written by um, Rob Bailow, the, the 24-year-old son of the former Victorian Liberal Premier, a real blue blood, Ted Bailey. Ted Bailey had written an op-ed and his, his son responded to it the next day smashing um, liberal conservative values, actually referring to the Liberal Party as greedy and and, and self-interested. But just to your point, um, he was saying a similar thing that, you know, some people say, because he's now campaigning for one of the independents, of course, mm. and uh, says some people say we're taking out the next generation of Liberal leaders. That's not true. They've taken themselves out of the next generation. If your vision of the future is a vision of the past, then you aren't the leader we need, said Rob Bailey. He's around the same age as you. So it's I, I took great um, great interest in that shift, you know, from young people prepared to say, nah, we're not going that way. Um, they're wrong. So, yeah, it makes you feel a little bit more optimistic about democracy. It's interesting because I actually had a, a, an argument uh, with someone who I won't name but who's a real um, liberal stalwart. But on the small L side, the moderate side, and they were getting quite upset saying, but this will destroy the Liberal Party and drive it further to the right. And they couldn't quite work out why I didn't care, you know. <laughs> and I sort of feel like this is part of the problem, that it's become all about loyalty to the party, mm. that the party's the most important thing. And that's actually false, the people are the most important thing. And if the party is past its use-by date, and I'm not talking about the Liberal Party necessarily on its own, but any party is past its use-by date, has gotten so self-referential, so caught up in its own future, then it is by and large proving that its time has passed. It either has to change radically or other, other groups, other people will rise up. The independents are not a party. There is no doubt that they are not. The propaganda is quite wrong. Um, I am standing for a small party, so I'm definitely part of a party and proud to be so. You have to be to stand for the Senate. Independence, it's, uh, you can't do it really. But there is a rising up of new voices, as Yasmin said, and I think that that's indicative that the old parties are part of what we were talking about earlier. They're stuck. They don't mm. know how mm. to move. And that's what I liked about Rob's article. He made this point about moderates in the Liberal Party cannot defend themselves on the basis that they're moderates if their party votes a certain way. And failing to take action on climate but saying, but I'm a moderate, that doesn't justify what has still happened in the party and the fact that the, you're still voting the same way. 
even if you might feel differently. There is, there's something in that. And I think young people, that is why we're feeling frustrated because that party politics and the factional battle, if you end up voting the same way around the future of this planet or other issues, that's what we're seeing. We're taking that at, at face value. And, and I think that's, that's where that frustration is coming from. Georgie, you wanted to add to that? Oh, I just wanted to say that I read that article by Rob and it actually made me quite emotional because I felt on one level, just on a really simplistic human level, I thought what an incredibly courageous mm-hmm. sort of piece of writing. It was a beautiful piece of writing and mm-hmm. regardless of who wrote it, but when you consider the context, I thought isn't that extraordinary that there is a young man who's willing to sort of write that in not and I know he didn't write that in defiance of his father because it's incredibly no. considered and thoughtful but I really it kind of I suppose captured for me the hope that I do have about what is happening right now because I think that I think there is a collective sense of the status quo isn't working and I mean if we're really honest with ourselves the status quo has not been working very well for a really long time really long time and the idea that the traditional, that sort of the way things have been has to be the way they always are. I think that's what we're seeing disrupted at, at a sort of local level here in, because I think what's interesting is that it isn't just one seat where we've we've got mm. the sort of, you know, Allegra Spender, Dave Sharma. Mm. There are, you know, there are sort of almost six or seven seats where there is a really considerable serious contest happening in seats Mm. that have traditionally been considered very safe Liberal seats. Mm. And I think that means we can't sort of deride this as just, you know, an aberration. I think this Mm. is actually um, almost universal, this Mm. sense of the way things have been done isn't working for us and we're going to do it differently. It's so interesting, you know, once upon a time it was just one independent, Indi and Kathy McGowan, and I remember watching her and thinking, wow, but this is just, it's unusual because of her particular seat in a rural um, Australia and she was very invested in the rural activities there. But to see, yeah, to see that that kind of difference now spread in many different ways across electorates is, is fascinating. We're going to have to take a, um, a quick break. And then, then when we come back, I want to have a chat about that madman and Twitter and how women fit into the village square or not. So we'll be back in just a moment. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, Relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.
Welcome back. Well, Yasmin, I think we'll just go straight to you on this because you raised the issue of Twitter, which has been a big story throughout this week, the sale of Twitter or the purchase of Twitter, I should say, by the multi, multi, multi multi-billionaire Elon Musk. It worries me enormously. I hate the thought of Twitter being in the hands of one man. But but I'm also interested when he keeps banging on about the, the democratic principle of the village square and I'm thinking, but hang on, women get beaten up in the village square, women get yelled down, women get bullied in the village square. So what is this going to mean? What, what are your thoughts? What are your worries here? Yeah, I mean, women lose their lives in the village square, right? Like it's it's actually our fundamental safety and, you know, this is something that actually I've been feeling quite sick about and something that it's not like, you know, we talk about the election now, at least we have some power. But I feel like in this regard, when somebody has that much money and resources to treat the world like a game, I feel very powerless and that's really hard. And, and to me, you know, and, and this is, I guess, how it relates to the election, there's this, you know, the anti-trolling legislation and all the kind of things, but it's almost... I think a bit of a band-aid to the structure of the internet and what I think politics hasn't caught up to is that our lives are no longer separate from the digital sphere. Democracy is not separate from the world online. They are fundamentally intertwined and they inform each other and if we don't have one way to you know a way to make the internet truly democratic and that was what it was meant to be when we don't have a space with rules, systems of power, infiltrate the space and create the rules. And that's what we see with Elon Musk owning Twitter, but also the big tech um, way of, of owning and operating on the internet and using us as users as the product um, or the, the the income stream. That's that's what we are. So I'm really concerned about what this means for our democracy, for our ideologies, for our way of debating, and also who's kept safe. And I was looking at a report by Amnesty International, and this is December 2018, so this isn't long ago, it found that every 30 seconds there is an abusive tweet targeting a woman and also that black women are 84% more likely to receive abuse than white women. So we see how this plays out then in something like politics or politically charged issue when the marginalised group says something they are far more likely to receive that abuse, and it means they're more, are more less, they're less likely to put themselves forward and put their safety at risk. And I, I learned a lot as a young person looking at the treatment of Yasmin Abdelmajid, and it really made me cautious to step forward and say something. Especially, you know, my my mom's Muslim, and I felt um, strongly about things like Islamophobia, but I was very, very scared. And that is the reality that we face when we strip back standards and rules. It's the most marginalised that will pay the price and it harms our democracy for it. So should we be hearing more talk in this election campaign about increasing government regulation? Is that what you're getting at? Something to do with control and democratic choices. That's really important. So I think, you know, I was looking at what Um, the government has done, and I mentioned anti-trolling legislation, which has been criticised actually a lot for having so many gaps and not truly dealing with the network nature of social media. So I I think what I really want, first of all, is to see politicians in parliament that understand this. Mm. There's so many people, and they're using, they're one of the people who are less familiar with the internet that are making the choices about how we do things. We need scientists, we need people who understand like I mentioned, systems and networks. So I want to see parliamentary committees that actually have that expertise.
expertise. And I worry that we don't have that. But I do think it comes down to how, you know, the internet is controlled, who can make that control, who can make those choices. And Australia doesn't have all the power. I understand that. But even on an international diplomacy scale, making that one of our you know, top issues is so important because this is something that really could shape humanity. I, I truly think it's, it's that imperative. And I just don't think we are there yet in terms of even reconciling with that. And I do think that's maybe a generational issue that we just don't have people, young people like me who are born into technology. Mm. It's something that politicians are still trying to wrap their head around. Mm. Georgie? Yeah, look, I mean, I echo Yasmin's concern. And I guess what I've been thinking a lot about is that, you know, as as Yasmin said, there, there is no divide between our our, our actual physical lives and our digital identities you know the idea that there's these two different places in which we exist is false and while I I just think we cannot get away from the fact that when women have got less power when they are less safe when they are less equal in any setting that is then reflected online and we know that the inequity that women face in their real life is mirrored online. So, you know, we know the fact that women of colour are far more likely to be abused than, than white women online because in our physical lives the same is true. Mm. And if we are not going to address the root causes of entrenched inequity for women in our genuine lives, then we have no hope of making women safer um, and more able to participate safely online. And the the other thing I wanted to say is, you know, this is why it matters that our parliaments, and actually not just parliaments, but boardrooms and organisations, this is why it matters that we have representative leadership. Because if we don't have people in parliament who have got Yasmin's lived experience of watching, you know, this incredibly bright powerhouse in Yasmin, mm. um, who was just torn to shreds and left the country, if we don't have someone in parliament who has got some line Mm. of sight over what Mm. that feels like, then how are those issues ever going to be represented? It's interesting because I've heard some politicians actually make this this sort of comment, and I'm paraphrasing here, but, um, oh, well, they can just turn it off. Just, Just don't use it. Just can turn I, away. Can I, can I make a point? Yasmin Abdel-Magid's persecutor was Murdoch. It was mainstream press. To, she quote said 250,000 words or something were uh, printed in uh, Murdoch media about her. So we mustn't think it's all that happens is online. Oh, no, 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 no. It's also why it's so urgent that we look at who owns the vehicles on which people are able to express things. And we've just now seen Elon Musk take over Twitter. But there's something else that's going on. I would say that without social media, and this has been very much my experience campaigning for a small party with very limited funds, with a team of volunteers, without social media, that diversity could not exist. Mm. Like you couldn't do it. So the, the really other frightening thing about very wealthy men taking over these platforms is that they could easily shut down the diversity of voices that are mm. able to organise, to campaign uh, for election as well as about uh, just, you know, bread and butter advocacy that we do every day. It has a chilling effect on our democracy. We already know that um, the Murdoch media has had a chilling effect on our democracy simply by intimidating people, as Yasmin talks about. When uh, as when Yasmin Abdel-Magid was made 
hounded out of this country for a, a really inoffensive, mm. perfectly reasonable mm. tweet. That was a deliberate, I think, ploy to do exactly what it did to mm. Yasmin Paul. Mm. Shut up or else mm. we will eviscerate you. And let me tell you, every woman I know who thinks about putting a tweet out on Anzac Day these days thinks very, very carefully about it. Can I just drill down on this before we move on to another topic? But all three of you, I'm looking at you all now, you've all suffered badly at the hands of trolls on social media. I've seen it and just been absolutely floored by some of it. Um, and, and we're not here to, to, you know, have a personal session as such, but I'm just interested to know in, in brief what do you do? None of you have shut down. None of you have gone away. None of you have shut up, um, although I know it's, you know, had effect at times of making you think twice or else quieten down for a while. But what 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 is your <laughs> – I'll ask it. What is your advice to those who are listening who are thinking, well, what the hell do you do? I mean, how do we – How do we? it's all very well talking at high level about can, the need for representation. Yeah, go on. Can I just quickly on. tackle this because I've thought about it long and hard? Basically, the trolls are bullies. So it's exactly what Georgie was saying. What happens in, you know, real life is mirrored exactly online. The trolls are bullies. Bullies want one thing. Bullies want to control your emotions. It's like coercive control over the internet. They want to make you feel a negative emotion. So they'll send you something where they want you to feel humiliated or hurt or fearful or shocked or whatever it is or defensive often. The secret to dealing with them, first of all, block and mute with um, alacrity, mm. but the secret to dealing with them is never to show them the emotion they want you to show. That doesn't mean you don't feel it. You might feel it if they're really horrific, but never let them see it. Go back with something that leaps over the whatever they've accused you of or the substance of the tweet or the message on Facebook and say you can... Try to be witty if you can. I've done it twice in about 20 years and I'm so proud of those tweets. You've been very them. funny in response to some. I've been, they've been hilarious, really Well, hilarious. if you can do that, that's a really good way of doing it. They never come near you again. My favourite was the guy who said, I know, I'm know, i a trained Marine and I know 71 ways to kill you with my bare hands. And I went back and said, well, that's very impressive, but surely once one would survive, <laughs> you know, um, that kind of thing. So you just hop over what they're trying to get you to do. In my experience, they then leave you alone, just like bullies, because you're no fun. They can't make you express the emotion they want you to express. I, I want to run training courses in this for women. Yes. Yeah, I think boys are taught this in the playground, girls are not, and we need to understand how to respond to bullies. Don't mm. give them what they want. Mm. I mean, you know, last time it happened to me, I actually called Jane. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, help, I don't know what to do. So I really do think, you know, if this is happening to someone speaking up, it really helps to speak to other people and also people who have gone through it. And for me, speaking to older feminists in this movement is actually very healing for me because I realise, you know, this is just, it's not just me. This has been happening to women for generations, like maybe since the very start. So so to, to learn from that is, and just to reach out for that support is really makes all the difference. And another thing that I do is my partner, when it's getting too much, first I mute the thread and then he checks Twitter for me. So, I'm, so I say if there's anything I really need to know or I ask what's happening, he will read it out. But obviously he'll say it in a way where I don't get every awful comment and that really helps. But also I just want to say a final point, going back to Elon for a hot minute, can I just say 
I just don't want to shift too much to focus on the bullies, but also to follow the money and to always bring the conversation back to who owns the thing. And I also think about Parliament, about how men have operated in this space from the beginning and they make the rules. And the abuse online doesn't come from nowhere. It's failure to create the space and rules in a way that's fair. And it's a failure to have diverse voices at the decision-making table. And that's the structure we are operating in. So I never want to normalise the abuse that we receive. That is conscious decisions and design choices by people who could do something but do not. It's very good advice. Follow the money. Um, look, at, look at where the power sits, who holds it. Uh, look, I, we could talk about this for ages, but I want to move on. One more um, issue to discuss before we have to, to, to wind up, but I, I can't help but bring this up because it has fascinated me. The warmongering uh, that we have heard over the last week, the banging of the war drums. I have a particular interest in the women, peace and security agenda and have been appalled at, at how uh, Australia, although we have a very good national action plan or good enough, I wouldn't say very good, but good enough national action plan. When it comes to things like this, it just goes, goes silent, goes limp, goes dead, the minister goes missing in regard to discussing the women, peace and security and the need for women's involvement at every level of decision-making around not just conflict and war but peacemaking as well. Um, but it was fascinating to hear, well, not fascinating, not surprising, but quite sickening to be, to be honest, to hear the uh, the Defence Minister Peter Dutton talk about um, the only way you can preserve peace is to prepare for war and be a strong country, not to cower, not to be on bended knee and be weak. That's the reality, he says. Now, that sounded to me like something from the past century, 100 years ago. But then when he goes on to talk about how Putin is prepared to kill women and children, suddenly women and children become important again, not in terms of participants, players, people, but people who need protection from the men. This seems to have, despite what's happening in the Solomon Islands and the deal done with China, it seems, and and the government's abject failure to stop this happening when it's really been warned for the last decade that these moves were happening um, and it's abject failure in diplomacy, uh, it seems to be playing into the government's um, glad bag of of, of campaign tricks at the moment because it's providing a sort of a, a best, a chest beating, drum banging, masculinized theme again. Is this just mm. me? Is that, am I just being a little bit obsessive here or do others feel this too? No, I mean, I think, Virginia, it plays straight into what we were talking about. Like, you know, <laughs> this idea that during elections, it's time for masculine, important, serious, and I'm, you know, using my little fingers for inverted commas, serious issues. And in the same way that I am just literally beating my head against a wall every time I see high-vis and hard hats as if Mm. the only kind of jobs in this country involve a factory or a hard hat Mm. when that is just so far from the reality of where the potential jobs that we need exist, for example, in caring roles. Mm-hmm. Um, and war is another perfect visual symbolic mm. example of that, that that I think um, absolutely the government want to talk about because they can, again, they feel comfortable mm. portraying themselves as strong and, you know, that sort of chest beating, we're in charge of national security, when in reality there's a whole lot of very serious questions to be asked about how well our national security has been 
maintained and protected over the last decade. And also there just seems to be in none of these discussions about war, there is no meaningful conversation about how diabolically bad war is for mm. women and children. And I don't mean tokenistic like, mm. oh, Putin is willing to kill women and children. Yes, thank you very much. We are aware of that. That has happened in every single conflict since civilization. Mm. But no one is talking about that as the sort of critical priority issue that it ought to be, that women and children being safe is something that matters in peacetime and in wartime. Mm -hmm. And if this government wants to talk with any credibility about its commitment to the safety of women and children or indeed national security without talking about what they're doing to make sure that women and children are actually safe, Mm -hmm. then it is absolutely futile to listen Mm -hmm. to. Yeah, it's interesting, and and we'll see, it, Georgie. But it's it's interesting um, the amount of uh, aid money to the Pacific, uh, particularly around the women, peace, and security uh, agenda, um, is often touted as uh, evidence that uh, Australia is doing something really proactively. But it's interesting when it comes to actual negotiations and, and actual diplomacy. Where are the women around the table? They're not there. They're just not there. Um, also, we've been cutting aid. To the oh, Pacific absolutely. We have. Decades. Yeah, we have. And we, mm. our, our absolutely cavalier attitude to climate change, I think, has mm. practically pushed the Pacific into the arms of the waiting Chinese. But to be honest with you, I see this whole sabre-rattling, chest-beating, warmongering crapola. I mean, we can't defend ourselves against China. Get real. Mm. Um, we just can't do it. Um, if they want us, they'll, they'll take us. That's mm. all we could do about it. Um, Shouldn't we be engaging? But- Shouldn't we be actually looking at at some sort of sort of uh, communication, collaboration, engagement with China? We we were the world's leaders in dealing with China for decades. Since Whitlam was, I think, the first prime minister to go. I think he went before Nixon and recognised China first in the world. Um, we led the world in dealing with China. Those diplomats. Diplomats have all been shed. All that corporate knowledge has been gotten rid of. People have been hired because they have the right ideological perspective instead of mm-hmm. the actual expertise to do the job. We're watching the hollowing out of the public service right across our um, governments and, and, and at all levels because mm-hmm. they've become ideological and people have to tick, I think, like you, box um, rather than I will give you expert advice without fear or favour. If I get in the Senate, that is one of the things I really want to look at. How do we get back to a public service that actually is consistent, goes from minister to minister, government to government, with its corporate knowledge intact? And I think this is an example of how that's failed. But the thing I really want to say quickly is, to my old advertising marketing self, this warmongering is marketing 101. What you do in marketing Mm. is you invent a problem, you Mm. make people conscious and afraid of it, and then you sell them the solution. Nobody had ever heard of BO until someone invented deodorant. (laughs) And when they invented deodorant, they came up with BO. It was an advertising agency that came up with it. They made people afraid that they were stinking all over the place and sold them bucket loads of deodorant. Hello, warmongering in an election campaign. That's what's going on. And not only that, right, they actually, they, they, the problem happened as well because they didn't deal with it yes. in the first place, right? It's just so ironic. Like it actually, 
They let that slip past. They didn't send high-level politicians to try to negotiate. And now they're throwing their hands up and saying, you know, it's war. I mean, that whole chess spinning exercise. And if there's something you can count on to me for the Liberal Party to run in an election campaign is to generate fear. And whether that be African gangs or whether that be, you know, fear of terrorism or you name it, that is their tried and true tactic to win votes. And I'm not trying to downplay the severity of this security threat, but it is something that happens every single election season. But something I also wanted to raise, so I'm working at the World Bank Pacific at the moment, and I recently interviewed a bunch of amazing Pacific female leaders. And when, you know, Dutton makes the Pacific, all the Pacific seems to be in his eyes is a strategic tool Mm -hmm. and something to do with defence. But in reality, it's an extremely diverse region with incredible people and especially incredible women leaders that I think many Australian women could actually connect with. You know, I've, I've been speaking to women in Micronesia and Kiribati that are running in politics or, you know, doctors and or the first you know Fijian pilot. I've met all these incredible women and to view it as just a strategic tool, just something to use against China is certainly not going to win any favour in that region of those incredible people and something that values family and friendship versus just being seen as a political tool. Mm. Um, we're going to have to get you back, Yasmin, to talk more about that particular um, project. I, I just want to come back to something Jane said, and I have to say this as someone who sits here in Canberra and has for the last couple of decades and, and done a lot of work with in the public sector. You're absolutely right, Jane. There is a that 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 um, giving advice without fear or favour is is a real problem in a risk averse public sector. However, I would say there are some terrific senior people of who still do advise with, with without fear or favour. The problem is that they're just not being heard or they're being ignored. And we've seen this sort of flip around in Canberra over the last, certainly in the last two decades, uh, in the last decade, sorry, of, of um, uh, ministers uh, taking more advice from their junior 12-year-old staff that they've appointed than they are from the head of their department. It's quite extraordinary. It's yeah. really quite extraordinary. But anyway, that said, we are going to have to, to wrap up, but I just want to finish because I know, Jane, and you're busy for the rest of the campaign. We wish you luck so we won't have you back. And Georgie also, and we, we wish you luck for the campaign. Um, Yasmin, we will hear from again later uh, in this series, and I want to thank you all. But just finish off with very briefly... A word about, and I know this is an unfair question, but uh, can you make a call at this stage? Have you got a feeling as to how it's going? I keep changing my mind every day. So I want to check in with you, the three of you. What are you feeling? Yasmin, how about you first? Can you make a call as to how you think it's going to go? I don't, I, I do think it's going, I mean, I think, like I said, the independence, I really do feel encouraged and I definitely think there will be some independence that will be successful. So there's going to be some um, political upsets. I do think that money crime will win Kuyong, Um and that's even going to be such an interesting thing considering Josh Pineberg was supposed to be the next prime minister. Um, and I do think that will help Labor as well. I don't know if it will get them over the line. I do think if Labor does get over the line, they will have to be engaging with the independents in some capacity in terms of, you know, coalition or something like that. But I think I'm encouraged seeing the momentum around those teal independents and, and, and yeah, I think it will pose a genuine power threat. So that's, I think I'm feeling it slightly more optimistic than I was in the first oh, Good, good. Okay, Georgie? Yeah, look, I have to say that I am feeling quite mixed. As we've sort of discussed today and also in the first episode, I have been watching 
the election campaign play out with quite a lot of sort of amusement in terms of, as we've said, there is that sort of disconnect between what the parties are focusing on and what the independents are standing for and what, what is sort of gathering momentum. I mean, as obviously at the parenthood, we're very focused on affordable early childhood education and care and expanded decent paid parental leave. And it seems that despite those issues being deeply connected to both cost of living and sort of justice for women, they have not had the focus that they uh, deserve. I mean, just yesterday, the new um, CPI figures, obviously the 5.1% inflation rate was shocking, but it also confirmed that over the last three years, since since the last election, out-of-pocket costs for parents for early learning and care is up almost 15%. Now, it was unaffordable even in 2019, and that is just against the backdrop of sort of soaring cost of living in general, Um, this is such a huge issue and I cannot for the life of me understand why it isn't being discussed more meaningfully because the opportunity to create jobs and economic growth, improve outcomes for children and women, it's there. So I'm going to keep doing what I can to make people focus on that. I do think that the independents mean the next Parliament of Australia is going to be different to what we have seen. I think even if we get a couple of new independents, it's going to be different. Hallelujah to that. Jane. Yeah, look, I'm 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 with um, Georgie and Yasmin. I'm slightly more optimistic than I was a couple of weeks ago. Um, I think the women's vote is the great unpredictable. I think that women have the opportunity to really change things for this country in this election, and I hope they grasp that vote and that opportunity. But I also hope they get active to help support the candidates that they want to do well because very few of them have got really big budgets and uh, teams Mm. uh, operating behind them. And, yes, I'm talking about myself here to some extent. Please volunteer if you can. Uh, But uh, (laughs) I do also want to say that I think, oddly enough, um, Anthony Albanese, and I don't mean this as a criticism of him at all, getting COVID has actually been a good thing because what it's done is it's refocused the election because it had to onto Morrison. And as soon as the focus has gone on to Morrison, everyone's remembered why they can't stand the man. Um, and previously the press was really focusing totally on Albanese and people mm. were going, oh, but he's not that impressive. Now they've gone back to, oh, but that guy, that guy, blah. So I think that's been really powerful. And I do think the cost of living stuff, I went to buy an iceberg lettuce the other day and it was seven bucks. Yeah, I look for I, an iceberg lettuce. Now this was in the country, this is in a regional area, but nevertheless, this is gonna bite this government and bite it hard. And it's wanted the debate to be on the economy. They've actually shot themselves in the foot. They must have known this was coming if they have any expertise. The CPI rise this week, as we heard, five to 5.1% is much higher than everyone was anticipating. Well, Even I don't know why, because that not mean shopping. At the market, gosh, I'm not buying that. I'm not going to a punnet of blueberries, 10 bucks. Are you kidding me? Maybe they should ask women. What's going to happen to the economy? Because we actually are out there buying things and can see. If the economists didn't expect it, what the hell are they doing? And yeah, they no, go to the markets and the shops and see what's been happening over the last few weeks. Make you what do they mean talking to people about rent rises and housing affordability? Come on, guys, get, mm. catch up, catch up, catch up. <laughs> um, and frankly, 
Uh, the fact that there may be a big rate rise next week because mm. uh, to keep the mm. lid on inflation. Mm. Look, I, you know, I, I'm feeling much more optimistic and I think the independence and women's votes, women's fury, women's yeah. absolute fury about being comprehensively ignored yet again in an election will pay off in terms of what Georgie says, a parliament that looks very different and hallelujah for that. Well, I hope you're all right. I really do. Well, next really week do. you might say the opposite. <laughs> well, that's why I have to check in every week. But, no, I hope you're all right and I must say this makes me feel a bit better because I, I've been biting my fingernails and really, you know, getting quite melancholy about it all at times. Hey, look, I want to thank you all so much. It's been wonderful, wonderful, wonderful spending this time with you and, you know, I wish we could go on for longer. But um, who knows? We'll catch up with you again, Georgie and Jane, at some stage and, Yasmin, we'll, we'll hear from you again in, in this series. Thank you all so much. Good luck and to you for joining us for this episode. Thank you so much. And don't, oh, I've got to tell you something. Yes, Martin's waving at me. We have a, a new email. We've got, you can write to me at Virginia at Broadnet. Oh, no, sorry. <laughs> Martin's shaking his head to say, you stupid, stupid thing. You're right. Sorry, it's been a late night. You can write to me at Virginia at broadtalk.net. Yes, Martin. Yes, he's saying thank God. Um, but please do keep your messages coming in via Facebook. You can find me at Twitter at Virginia underscore house, A-T-E-W-S, or at Talk Broad. Um, Broad Talk, of course, is on Facebook and our group, our roundtable, Broad Talk Roundtable. You're most welcome to join and we'll love to have you there. And send us some messages and let us know what you're thinking. But in the meantime, keep talking. Bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.